Welcome to the What Matters Most podcast, presented by First United Bank and Trust. That's my bank. Visit us today at mybank.com. Hello and welcome to What Matters Most, a podcast all about finances, community, savings, and security for you, your family, and your business. This podcast is brought to you by the helpful folks at MyBank, First United Bank and Trust. I'm your host, Eric Nutter, and in today's episode, What Matters Most is our monthly economic update. And for this discussion, I am thankful to be joined once again remotely today by Brad Bolliard, Portfolio Manager in First United's Wealth Management Department. Good morning, Brad. How's it going? Good morning, Eric. It's going well. Excellent. How's your how's your summer treating you so far? Really good. I've done some traveling. I went down south to the Carolinas twice already. Escaping um, so, escaping the smoke? Yeah, I actually, <laughs> for the 4th of July weekend, I went down to Charleston, South Carolina, and the air was a little better down there, although it was really hot. So you kind of picked your poison if you wanted to you know, <laughs> you inhale the smoke. smoke up here or, or just be really you know, hot and stuff. So that's what I did. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Glad you, glad you got away. You get a little, little rest and relaxation and then we get back right into it and can talk about some, the, the market conditions uh, for the month of July. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into it. Uh, like normal, why don't we start off uh, with the negatives and then we'll go to the positives. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. The negative side is a little meatier this time. Of course, when you're talking about negatives, one of the things we always have to look at, monetary policy mistakes, and that's always a possibility. Um, so the Fed, after hiking by 5% over the past year plus, the Fed announced no changes to its policy on June 14th. The Federal Reserve kept the Fed funds rate in a range of 5 to 5 and a quarter percent meeting market expectations for no hike after 10 straight increases dating back to March of last year. But this was clearly a hawkish skip. And in fact, I noticed that during the conference call after the Fed meeting, he accidentally used the word skip and then he kind of <laughs> apologized a little bit. So that there's, made there's a no lot of analysts. Right. <laughs> so we knew it was a pause, but now we definitely know it's kind of a, a pause or a skip as he put it that probably We'll be looking at higher rates here in the future, just by a quarter percent or so, maybe two more here before year end. But I did want to talk about the dot plot a little bit. Indica indicated in their dot plot, Fed policymakers forecast the median rate at year end to be 5.6%, compared that to the old projection of 5.1% a little more than a month ago. 12 of 18 of the Federal Open Market Committee members now anticipate at least two more 25 basis point hikes this year. The dot plot suggests that most FOMC members believe a bit more tightening may be necessary to return inflation to their 2% target, though it would depend on inflation and labor market data. Of course, the labor market data has been great this year. Uh, Powell strongly stated that the committee will do whatever it takes to get inflation down, as price stability is the bedrock of the U.S. economy. He was careful to emphasize that no decision was made on a July hike, but he did say it is a live meeting leading the market to increase the probability of a move in July. Uh, Powell said rate cuts will be a couple of years out, a position at odds with the dot plot forecast of 100 basis points, basis point of cuts in 2024, maybe. Also on the um, negative side is manufacturing numbers this time. Services is on the positive side, and we'll get to that in a minute. But manufacturing, um, 
That registered at 46%, point nine percentage point lower than the 46.9% recorded in May. And again, whenever I throw out these figures, just remember under 50% is contraction territory. So a lot of these numbers on the manufacturing side are in that territory. Um, this figure indicates a seventh month of contraction after a 30-month period of expansion. The new orders index remained in contraction territory at 45.6%, uh, three percentage points lower um, than the figure of 42.6% in May. Production index came in at 46.7% and is a 4.4 percentage point decrease compared to May's figure of 51.1%. Backlog of orders index registered 38.7%, 1.2 percentage points higher than the May reading of 37.5%. The employment index dropped into contraction, registering 48.1%, down 3.3 percentage points from May's reading of 51.4%. New export orders index reading 47.3% is 2.7 percentage points lower than May's figure of 50%. And finally, Imports index remained in contraction territory, registering 49.3%, two percentage points higher than the 47.3 percentage uh, reported in May. Only four of the 18 manufacturing industries reported growth in May. Basically, demand remains weak. Uh, production is slowing due to lack of work. And there are also signs of more employment reduction actions in the near term. So another negative I want to talk about, consumer expectations. So, you know, a lot of times you hear that we talk about consumer confidence. I did want to talk about their expectations some. Um, those do remain below 80. That's the level associated with the recession within the next year. Every month it's been below 80 since uh, February 2022, except for a brief uptick in December. Although the exceptions index remained a hair below the threshold signaling a recession ahead because it was just just below that level. Um, a new measure found considerably fewer consumers now expect a recession in the next 12 months compared to May. Meanwhile, on a six-month moving average basis, plans to purchase autos and homes have slowed after picking up earlier in 2023. This may reflect rising costs to finance big-ticket items as the Fed continues to raise interest rates. Uh, vacation plans within the next six months continue to lag led largely by declines in plans to travel domestically. This is an important indicator of desires to spend on services ahead, which may be a signal that post-pandemic revenge spending on travel may have peaked and is likely to slow over the rest of the, this year. So, you know, a lot of people during the pandemic, Eric, they didn't go anywhere. <laughs> so afterwards, they are calling this revenge spending in the news, and um, that's what a lot of people have done. But that's starting to slow down now. Um, people have kind of taken their vacations after post-pandemic and kind of went on their adventures and their journeys. So it's not, you know, not that they're not doing that anymore. It's just kind of averaging out yeah. um, to what we kind of saw before the pandemic. So, yeah, I think for the last several years, everyone was revenge spending in the same places I was going. So, yeah, so <laughs> I'm glad that's slowing down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, also on the negative side, core PC inflation that excludes food and energy that rose to 4.6% in May year on year, which is down marginally from April's 4.7%. Proof that inflation remains sticky as core PCE ratings haven't moved much in seven months. Headline PCE inflation rose 3.8% from a year earlier, which is the lowest figure in two years. The peak was at 7% a year ago. 
So waning gas and food prices, that they played a big role in restraining inflation this year. If you notice your prices of eggs have probably come down a little bit at your lo- local grocery store. I do remember when they were about $6. Right. And I think last time I was at the market myself was a couple weeks ago. I think I saw a $1.99 for the store brand for a dozen. So that price has come down some, some of the food and, and the energy prices a little bit. Um, so inflation is slowing, but it's still too high for the Fed. Uh, senior Fed officials worry that rising labor costs and price increases in major parts of the economy, such as housing, could keep inflation at elevated levels for a few more years. The latest PCE report is unlikely to give the Fed reason to continue to pause rate hikes at its next big meeting in July. Those continuing to move in the right direction, inflation is still nearly double the Fed's target rate, and getting it to continue to move downward won't be an easy job. So, um, again, their target is 2%. So, right. got a little more work a little more work to do there. I did notice that some of the inflation numbers this morning here on July 12th this morning, they came in just slightly below expectations. So, there was a little bit of a cooling. I think the market liked that initially um, with, uh, I think, the S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ. Everything's actually up just a little bit. Cooling inflation uh, has economists debating the Fed's path. But, you know, they're, they're pretty much signaling. They they said it 14 times during, <laughs> during their uh, last meeting that, uh, you know, they're going to continue to aim for their target and, and probably uh, look at higher rates here. So hmm. um, another negative is any additional bank failure. Of course, we had that few months where you saw SVB and uh, other Southern, other, other uh, Western banks um, kind of going through their spat of losses, uh, any additional bank failure concern seems to be lessening as bank stock prices have been recovering over the last few months. With further central bank tightening still a possibility, we're likely not out of the woods yet. Uh, banks are due to kick off the second quarter reporting season this week, late this week, with analysts looking for updates on deposit stability, net interest margin expansion, and executive comments. All 23 major banks that the Fed tested did survive their 2023 stress tests. All 23 that participated in the stress tests show they would be able to withstand a severe global recession. So we were happy to see that in the news. That demonstrates the strength of the biggest financial institutions at a time when the banking industry, of course, is still on uncertain ground. Results released by the Fed show that these banks would have enough capital at hand to absorb losses and continue lending, even if unemployment were to hit 10% and the stock market would plunge 45%. Their, pro- their projected losses would be around $541 billion under the, this hypothetical uh, scenario. Uh, the $541 billion in total projected losses includes more than $100 billion from commercial real estate and residential mortgages and $120 billion in credit card le- losses. So mostly from commercial real estate mortgages and credit card losses is where they would see that loss if we would enter into a major recession. Uh, both higher than losses projected in the last year's test. Hmm. There are also some mid-sized banks included in that, Eric. I know, you know, I just say the number 23 major banks, but mid-sized banks included, regional banks um, include PNC, Truist, and m and hmm. Okay. So several banks that we even have in, in, in our community here. So, um, but we are happy to hear that with the stress test and we'll continue to uh, analyze that area. Um, here in the future as the Fed continues to raise rates and people uh, are looking at higher lending rates and mortgage rates and so on. Right. Finally, the last negative I want to hit on really quickly before we move on to our positives 
is after hitting a six-month high in April, the trade deficit narrowed 7.3% in May. Imports fell 2.3% and exports slid uh, 0.8%. The deficit is expected to widen as exports are held down from weak conditions overseas, particularly in China. So we are see, starting to see exports, uh, you know, kind of side a little more there and, and mostly because of, of China, um, some conditions there. And, you know, sometimes China is, Kind of difficult to depend on in terms of in terms of having truthful data that, that they release, but um, there are other ways to kind of analyze that situation, and that's kind of what we're seeing right now. So, gotcha. I do want to move on now to the positives, and of course, when you're talking about positives in the economy, jobs, um, non-farm payrolls rose by two hundred nine thousand jobs in June. Though uh, expectations were 240,000, 209,000 is the smallest increase in more than two and a half years. The unemployment rate dipped back to 3.6% from 3.7% after a 53-year low, 3.4%. So that number is still looking very good. Hourly pay rose a sharp 0.4% in June, higher than expected, and left the increase um, over the past year at 4.4%. Increase in hiring in June was weaker than it seemed. Some 30% of the new jobs created last month were in government. Uh, the private sector added 149,000 jobs, mostly in healthcare and private education. Employment fell in retail, transportation, wholesale, and temp jobs. Employment gains in May and April were marked down by a combined 110,000. Um, job gains in May were lowered to 306,000 from 339,000, and the increased employment in April was slashed to 217,000 from 294,000. So jobs, though, in general, are still looking very good, uh, still a promising area. And even if there are some people that have been laid off, say, in the manufacturing area, they've been able to find jobs pretty quickly. Um, jobless claims, they did rise a little bit, but still, you know, jobs in general, still on the positive side of the economy, rose to 248,000. Claims have crept up this year from historic lows, but they still aren't pointing to a sharp deterioration. Um, the number of people collecting unemployment benefits in the U.S. fell by 13,000 to 1.72 million. That's the third decline in a row and puts continuing claims at a five-month low. A strong labor department, labor market is great for workers. However, the Federal Reserve worries the demand for labor is making it harder to get high inflation under control. So that's another factor that, that they have to look at whenever they're fighting inflation. The Fed wants to see the job market cool off a little bit. <laughs> um, services is on the positive side of our economic review. Services index rose to 53.9%, so it's growth territory in June from 50.3% in May. Production exceptional growth, actually above 55%, is at 59.2%. New orders, 55.5%. New export orders, 61.5%. All rose and now stand in exceptional growth territory. There has been an uptick in the rate of growth for the services sector. This is mostly due to the increase in business activity, new orders and employment, um, increased capacity, backlog reduction, and continued improvements in logistics have had a positive impact on delivery times. Uh, most service index respondents indicate that business conditions remain stable. However, they are cautious relative to inflation and the future economic outlook. 15 of 18 service industries reported growth in the month of June. So services looking very good. Um, spending on construction. When I say construction, I, I, mean, I mean housing and highways, uh, different infrastructure projects. Uh, that rose 0.9% in May to $1.93 above expectations of 
This includes projects for housing and highways. Single-family construction rose on a month-over-month basis in May by 1.7%. Multifamily construction fell by 0.1% in May, but increased by 20.4% for last year. New residential activity jumped by 2.2%, reversing the cumulative declines recorded over the three prior months. This lines up with the big increase in housing starts in May and adds to a growing body of evidence that the housing sector is bottoming out. Uh, there was some decline, I think, in the year-a-year -year number for single housing. I mean, people are looking at higher rates <laughs> and um, higher mortgage prices, really. So right. we are starting to see a, a little bit of a bottoming out in that area a little bit. So hmm. what, So I want to go over, Eric, what kind of conclusions can we make now that everybody has the negatives and the positives? Um, I just want to say on the equity side, consensus agrees that the first half of the year was a consensus killer, really. <laughs> <laughs> the economic data kept surprising to the upside, particularly jobs and consumer spending, stops rally, volatility fell. Um, 2022's laggers were the big year-to-date winners through June. And that includes tech, communication, consumer discretionary, while 20, 2022's leaders were the laggers, and that's energy, utilities, and health. Um, tech titans drove the market with eight mega cap stocks surging a collective 59% the first six months. Uh, NASDAQ's 32% gain represented its best first half since 1983, following its worst first half uh, ever in 2022. Of course, what else did we have there, Eric? And something you probably appreciate is the explosion of AI. Mm -hmm. um, everywhere you looked, every news headline, everybody's talking about AI. I think even this morning I saw where Elon Musk as a new, is he calling it like X AI or something like that? <laughs> so um, a lot of competition out there, you know, Google, chat GPT and so on. Um, with the AI, it'll be interesting to see where all that goes. Um, I know a lot of businesses are already starting to implement the usage of that and um, very interesting world that we're living in now. Um, it was the narrowest, when we're talking about uh, the NASDAQ and market, so it was the narrowest market in history. Just 25% of stocks outperformed the S&P 500, though participation broadened somewhat in the final month. June 7.7% gain in the equal weighted S&P topped the cap weighted benchmark 6.6% rise. And value outperformed growth while small caps outperformed large caps. The percentage of investors intelligent bulls is at its highest since the bull run from March 23, 2020 through January 3rd, 2022. But what happened? The bull got gored. <laughs> As the S&P plunged into bear market uh, territory over the subsequent seven months, therefore, we recommend some patients with a short-term risk rewards due to the downside. On the, on the fixed income side, to conclude there, to making conclusions, the Fed decided to pause again in June instead of increasing rates during the press conference after the meeting. Fed Chair Powell used the word skip and then apologized. Market expectations are that the Fed will hike again at their July 26th meeting. The Federal Reserve will likely raise its benchmark interest rate to 5.25% to 5.5% range, even with traders pricing in slightly lower chance of any further increase after reports showed hiring slow more than expected in June. Traders now see about a 20% chance of a rate hike in September and a 40% chance of one by November after what is nearly universally expected to be a quarter point increase at the U.S. Central Bank's late July meeting. While inflation has fallen from its peak, it could prove to be uh, sticky near current levels of 4%. The Fed's target is still that 2%. So in general, right now with fixed income, we are overweight. We are focused on the intermediate area 
uh, for new cash. Um, you know, we want to hold on. Looking over the past like 15, 20 years, rates are high, and they've been high since October 2022. Looking over the past 15, 20 years, we are in a very good area of investment for people that desire fixed income and, and, and cash flow into their accounts. So, um, you know, we want to hold on to those rates a little longer, you know, even though you might see five to 6% going out six months, one year. Well, when those proceeds mature, um, that re- creates reinvestment risk. Right. And if the Fed decides to lower rates in the future, then all of a sudden, you you know, your five, 6%, where is it going to go? It's going to go back to 2%. Right. So if we can hold on to that 5% for going out five, 10 years, we want to do that right now. So, um, you know, I think it's good strategy. That's what we're focused on intermediate uh, duration. Uh, we do have a little bit of short-term exposure still, but we're focused mostly on the intermediate area, uh, not purchasing corpus with below triple B plus BWA one ratings in terms of quality uh, must be selective with munis focusing on, 10 plus year maturities for tax freeze. Um, small exposure to tips there, inflation protection. High yield and underweight level is appropriate. Default risk has less than asset classes. We're making minor, just minor additions there. Cash, we're neutral to modest overweight. Cash is up near 5% yield um, about, and I think money markets are uh, up near uh, 5% also. So we, you can use tax, cash as a tactic. For your portfolio, sometimes people look at cash and thinking, "Oh, what is it doing for me?" Well, right now it's doing a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and also it's there available so that there is a pullback in, in uh, the market, and then we have that that available for reinvestment. Um, so equities, right now we are underweight. We are underweight consumer staples. We are overweight technology. We are equal weight communication, financials, basic materials, utilities, energy, real estate, consumer discretion, healthcare, and industrials. Also looking at alternatives on the equity side, as we have been for a few years, especially now uh, target three to eight percent of stocks focused on inflation hedge and downside protection strategies in that area. International, we're targeting seven to twelve percent of stocks, uh, targeting ten to thirty percent of international position in emerging markets, depending on the objective of the account. And small to mid cap target five to twelve percent of stocks. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're looking at uh, a market that's looking going to be looking at higher rates this year, um, possibly a pullback in the future sometime. But we have been seeing some pretty positive returns so far this year. We're liking where we're at in comparison to our Morningstar indices, actually outperforming those. And, um, you know, really liking the fixed income side, quality is out there, rate is out there, good pricing is out there, good good duration is out there um, on the fixed income side. I mean, this is a dream, really, for any fixed income investor, bond investor here in 2023. 2022 was terrible, but 2023, um, especially the beginning of 2022, 2021, uh, and 2020, really, but 2023 has been uh, wonderful. And, um, you know, if you're conservative, Right now is a conservative time to really be looking pretty good in your portfolio. Excellent. Brad, uh, thank you for tons of information. Uh, you, you've given, you've given a lot of pointers, a lot of, um, a lot of areas to kind of, uh, assist our listeners with how they should be positioning themselves or, or their money. But if, if someone, 
is listening, maybe they, they want to learn more, they've got a question, what's the best way they can get the support they need? Yeah, customize your plan today. Call us at 855-829-7192, or you can go to our website at mybank.com slash wealth. Perfect. Brad Ball, your portfolio manager in First United's Wealth Management Department. Brad, thanks again for joining. Thank you, Eric. That brings us to the end of our show. You can always find more episodes by visiting mybank.com slash podcast or find us on your favorite podcast app. You can also leave feedback, ask questions, or request a topic for us to discuss by sending an email to podcast at mybank.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next time with more helpful content. But until then, we wish you the best in focusing on what matters most to you. United, my bank for life. This document is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from First United Bank and Trust, or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and should not be relied upon in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, credit, and accounting implications and determine together with their own professional advisors if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results.